Welcome to ReachMD. You are listening to Lipid Luminations, produced in partnership with the National Lipid Association and supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. Your host is Dr. Alan Brown, Director of the Division of Cardiology at Advocate Lutheran General Hospital and Director of Midwest Heart Disease Prevention Center at Midwest Heart Specialists at Advocate Healthcare. Welcome to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and we're broadcasting live from the National Lipid Association meeting at the Palmer House in Chicago, Illinois. My guest today is Dr. Lynn Braun, who is a PhD, a certified nurse practitioner, a fellow of the Heart Association, and a very powerful person within the National Lipid Association, a mover and shaker here. She's professor at the Rush College of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner and the Rush Heart Center for Women in Chicago and a wonderful resource to the Lipid Association. Lynn, I know one of your passions is dealing with the Achilles heel of all therapy, which is even if it works, if the patient doesn't take it, it does no good, right? So Exactly. Uh, my father used to say the the worst medicines are the ones that people don't take take, or don't work. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about medication adherence. This topic's a little dear to me because I remember in our own practice Mm -hmm. trying to figure out why we couldn't achieve adequate targets. And there was a a wonderful paper that Tom Pearson wrote several years ago Mm -hmm. that was many, many pages with all the psychological barriers and all Mm -hmm. these other barriers. And uh, I was impressed by all of that. But actually, once we put an alert on our computer that just reminded us when the patient was in front of us to mm-hmm. treat, a big portion of the achievement of goal improved. Mm-hmm. But it seems like with systems being an mm-hmm. important part of, of getting people treated, there's still that magic number you can't get beyond. About 30% of people just don't get to their targets. And I'm convinced mm-hmm. that that's for all those other reasons that mm-hmm. Tom wrote about and that that you're going to talk about today. So tell us, what do you think are the major issues of adherence? Whose fault is it? Let's start with that. I think it's the system's fault. It's the provider's fault in large part, actually. And certainly the patient has their own idiosyncrasies. They have their own concerns. But as providers, we can certainly address those concerns that our patient has by, first of all, establishing a great relationship with our patient, whether it's the relationship between the patient and the provider himself or the patient and the provider's staff and people and office, the entire team approach. I think in the the recommendations part two, in addition to talking about adherence, we talk about the entire healthcare team engaging them in patient care. Wouldn't it be great if you started a new medication on your patient and a week to 10 days later, one of your staff called that patient to say, do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns about that medication? Did you fill that prescription? Are you taking the pill? Are you taking the pill? If we did follow-up like that, I think it, it would be amazing. But if that can't happen, you know, if the provider just had enough time to really fully explain the rationale for the medication to the patient, to sit down and listen to their concerns and questions, to make that patient feel part of the team, you know, because the patient really is the most important part of the team. It's not just the provider's. Right. People have said the most important part of patient care is caring for the patient. Yeah, And exactly. the patients, if they know that their best interest yeah. is at heart, uh, they will tend to follow your instructions because they trust you. And I, 
that doesn't take a huge amount of effort. I, other, I, I like other, to think many practitioners uh, practice yeah. that. The other thing I, I get real concerned about, and I've developed a keen interest over the last few years, is uh, the issue of health literacy. Just because you may be caring for a lawyer who, you know, who makes a million dollars and who's gone through years and years of education doesn't mean they're health literate. I have a particular lawyer who I take care of who, you know, he's brilliant, but he, he's, he's not health literate. You know, uh, many of my less educated patients are more health literate than he is. I remember caring for an orthopedic surgeon who knew nothing about his secondary prevention medications. So we can't assume just because someone has a particular educational level that they're going to be health literate and really understand the information we're delivering. Yeah, I think that's a really critical point. And if you don't ask, sometimes patients will try to impress you with what they know about mm-hmm. medicine and you right. get the impression how they understand this, mm-hmm. the so-called read-back technique where you say, Teach back. Tell me, yeah. tell, me what, or read back. Yeah. tell me what you learned today at today's mm-hmm. visit. The other thing that I'd love to hear your thoughts on are the uh, idea of making sure that you just ask the right questions no matter what the answer is. So when a patient comes in, if you just attend to it, uh, as uh, Dr. McKinney would say, ask them how they're doing on their diet. Mm-hmm. If we never mention the diet, the perception is it's not important. It's not important. That's right. Are you taking your pills yeah. every day? Yeah. Uh, if not, why not? I, right. I had one patient that told me he forgets every day, and he had mm-hmm. to take his pill at bedtime. So I asked, what do you do every night before you go to bed? He brushed his teeth. So I told him, rubber band the pill right. to the toothpaste, right? Right. So, something that I learned from talking to mm-hmm. people like you that I otherwise might not have mentioned. He said, oh, that I could do that. So do you have any other pearls about how to interview patients and try and figure out the barriers that might be keeping them from uh, taking their... One of the things I think in in practice that we forget to do is to ask the adherence question. You know, we assume because we may see a particular LDL level that they're adherent. That's an important clue, but it may not be everything, and they may not be adherent. And just by asking a question, you know, I give kudos to the people who actually use a Marisky scale and, you know, do this more formally. But I just ask one question, and that is... I. In the last two weeks, what percent of, you know, you should have had 14 doses of your statin. How many doses do you think that you took? And if it's, you know, anything less than 12 or 14, I start to pursue it then. And really ask what's going on. Why are you, for, are you forgetting? Is it that you don't want to? You know, really explore the reasons why patients are not 100% adherent. But we have to ask an adherence question. That's really key. I have a patient who, as I walk into the room, she says 70% before <laughs> we start talking about anything, you know. That's cute. Yeah. So uh, it, this uh, is making me think about many of my patients who come and they tell me something. Then when their spouse gets in the room, they say that's ab- absolutely not Wrong. true. So what is the role of the family member? And do you think getting nagged by your spouse is a positive or a negative thing in terms of adherence? Nagging is not good. In fact, we had an NIH-funded study some years back called A Couple's Approach to Cardiac Risk Reduction, where not only did they get a, a education about 
all everything we should be teaching our patients who've had a coronary disease event and their spouse. But we also, the psychologist involved, taught the couple how to best work together as a couple. So problem-solving techniques, emotional expressiveness, things like that, as opposed to nagging, because I see that all the time as well. So no, nagging is, is not the answer, but um, involving, engaging the family member and teaching when they're there. So they both hear the same information from you, the provider, and can hopefully then work together. And maybe something comes up where they do work together better as a couple, whether it's grocery shopping to, uh, you know, together or whatever they can do to make health care for both of them better. It goes back to the golden rule of life, business, health care, and uh, relationships, yeah, exactly. which is that the way you influence people has nothing to do with what they think about you. It's how they feel right. about themselves when they're in your presence. Right. And when I do see families that say, we love you, we don't want anything bad to happen mm-hmm. to you, that's much more effective oh. than, I'm going to slap you if you don't take your pills, right? Exactly. Yeah. So any other clues about adherence? I mean, tell us about some other barriers that we should be asking about besides just querying mm-hmm. how many pills they're taking right. and, and trying to engage things that are important right. to them, like possibly family. Right. So the three things that I'm going to focus on in the talk that I'm going to give a little um, a little while ago, or a little while from now, you know, is the patient-provider relationship or the relationship between the patient and the entire healthcare team, and the, the patient as being the most important part of the team. The second is health literacy. I think we have to try and identify cues from our patients to tell us that they have a low level of health literacy and then figure out some strategies to address that. And the third area that I really worry about, uh, Dr. Brown, is uh, care transitions. Patients discharged from the hospital, they're coming home. And I'm sure so often you identify as well that patients may be discharged with a particular list of medications and they come home, they could be taking two of the same medicines in the, in the category because it wasn't on the formulary in the hospital, whatever you prescribe them, and now they're taking two different statins, for example, or for some reason the statin fell off and it's, it's not on their list. The more we can follow up on patients with that two-day post-discharge phone call and then a week to 10-day post-discharge visit, and perhaps when there's a discrepancy, having myself, I call the pharmacy a lot to review when the last time the patient refilled their medication. I'm going to be presenting a case of a cardiac transplant patient who was hospitalized for another reason and had a very high LDL cholesterol. patient was referred to me turned out that the patient last filled their statin medication prior to that hospitalization, which was now a few months ago. He thought he was taking the medication. The transplant cardiologist thought he was taking the medication. He wasn't taking the medication, and we didn't know that until I called the pharmacy. Yeah, so I mean, so we're that's all a very vulnerable time. It really yeah. is. It really is. And you know, one of the other pearls I think of this meeting today is motivational interviewing. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Perhaps Dr. Resnikow follows me, and he's the expert in that area. But it's one way to really engage the patient without talking at them. You know, finding out what their perspectives are, what their values are, how they live their life, what their concerns are in order to move the needle a little bit as far as making a behavior change like good medication adherence. 
for example, they just had a new grandchild, right? So they they want to live to enjoy that grandchild. Absolutely. And if you have that information, is that, is that what you mean? That's by? exactly. Well, or really finding out, you know, why they're resistant and letting them talk. Instead of us talking at them, letting them talk. And there are techniques to kind of trigger and pull that information from them. You're concerned because of side effects and let them talk about the side effects that they may have heard. You know, another pearl with lipid-lowering therapy is really to address side effects up front and let them know that, you know, there's a certain percentage. But if they feel like, if feel as though they are having an adverse effect, they need to contact you. They shouldn't stop the medicine and tell you about it three months when they return. They need to contact you. They need to contact the office staff because we can work through those things here and now and not three months from now. Well, thank you very much, Lynn. I could talk to you about this all day. Very, yeah. very interesting. If I could summarize what I think you said, and you tell me mm-hmm. if I'm right, that a systematic approach to mm-hmm. managing patients is a critical first step. An individualized approach mm-hmm. to assessing patients' adherence, and if they're not being adherent, to try and attend to it, mm-hmm. ask questions about why they're not mm-hmm. taking their medicine, is a, the first step just to show the patient it's important. Mm-hmm to have the right kind of communication with your patients Mm -hmm. that includes listening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then the bigger issue of health literacy, which is going to require a lot Mm -hmm. of work. And finally, a universal medical record that combines inpatient and outpatient Mm -hmm. care so you have your one lifelong record and everybody can see what drugs you're supposed to be on throughout the continuum of care. There's been a lot of talk about, but I'm not aware of anybody accomplishing that yet. No, I don't think so. Except maybe